Welcome to the Bear Den Podcast, presented by Bear Performance Marketing. Sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and feel free to use all of the marketing knowledge we have prepared for you. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of Bear Den Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Matt Fralick. Thanks for sticking with us so far. Listen to all of our Bear Necessities blogs in audio format. Of course, with all of our other episodes, go check those out. We had my barber, Charles Smith, who just opened Uppercut's Barbershop. Of course, we had Aaron's episode and my cousin's episode, Jason Johnson, who owns CrossFit City of Lakes in Minneapolis. But we have another special guest on us. Our first guest that actually heard about our podcast and reached out to us and wanted to connect. So, I mean, I've been networking, our, but it, it's, it's working for ourselves. So I have Brian Matsky joining me here today in the office. We had a good conversation with our boss, Aaron Baer, but I'm um, good to connect with you, Brian, and uh, good to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Of course. When Aaron initially told me that you heard his podcast, he said you were interested in it and said it was a great job. I was like, all right, that's good. He said that you wanted to be on. I'm like, okay, well, what's Brian do? So I did a little research on you. Aaron filled me in a little bit. You gave me some info, but it sounds like you wear a lot of hats in more ways than one, but why don't you give everyone a little background on at least what your, your day-to-day situation is? From the day-to-day, I'm, a, I guess, by title, a director of operations. So I, I probably spend the majority of my day, I work for a company called Precision Ice Blast. We're based up in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. We specialize in industrial cleaning, and we use dry ice to do that. Mm-hmm. So, And dry ice blasting is it's similar to cleaning with sand, like sand blasting. But instead of shooting sand out, we're shooting dry ice pellets. There's plenty of advantages to it, which we can get into. But And then the rest of my time, I work for a company called Stellar Enterprise. In a roundabout way, we're all under kind of the same umbrella. But I do operations for that company. We own health clubs in Wisconsin and the UP, commercial real estate, and uh, in a marina also. Not only are your operations for ice blasting, but the gyms, real estate. I mean, there's you obviously have to shake and flow with a bunch of different people in different capacities. It's not just like gym owners, right, or gym managers. You have people in real estate and the ice blasting. Let's talk about the ice blasting. So when you were sitting down talking to Aaron before, he had mentioned to me that you work in ice blasting. You mentioned it to him, like, I'm sitting there in the meeting. I'm like, I don't even know what the hell this is, man. Like, I'm assuming ice blasting is like you're giving ice to people or corporate. And I didn't know it was cleaning. So you mentioned in our interaction that you guys are international. You have some jobs potentially in Brazil, South Korea. You guys are really good at it. So you mentioned it really really well, compare and contrast of sandblasting. But like, why have I never heard of it? Yeah, well... It's mainly used industrial cleaning. So the majority of our business is in the power industry, so power plants. And we'll go into a boiler and we'll clean a boiler for a power plant. So, you know, if you were to climb into that boiler and you were to clean it with sand, you'd have sand blown all over the place. You'd have a bunch of sand at the bottom. You would, you would have a mess. But what happens is when you shoot dry ice out, you know, and it's in a solid, but as soon as it hits something, it turns to a gas. Uh-huh. Okay, so the dry ice is gone. So it cleans the surface of whatever you're blasting that disappears and all you're left with is whatever you cleaned off of that surface. Got it. So, you know, power industry is a lot of what we do, but also the food industry going into uh, large food factories Mm -hmm. where you couldn't be shooting sand, you know, around the factory, shooting water around the factory to clean. You know, we can go in and clean their machines, clean ceilings, whatever it needs to be with with dry ice. It's efficient. That's what it comes down to. You guys, like I said, you mentioned you had some international work and most of that, I think, from what you said, you guys are just really good at it. Yeah. So wh- why, why are you guys so good at it? How did that even come about? I mean, wh- where does someone become good at ice blasting? Yeah, and this year, the company will celebrate 30 years in business. So been around for a long time. We 
are the best in the world at what we do. When somebody needs something cleaned with ice, we're the company to call. You know, we have special techniques, patented techniques that we use when we go in and clean, and we get everything. The best in the world, too. Yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. I mean, especially if you guys are getting jobs across the world, they're kind of, like, if you're just doing stuff in the Midwest or Wisconsin, you're like, uh, I think Brian's kind of full of shit. But clearly, like, right. you actually are like, you got, so talk a little bit about that. You, you mentioned a few times, I have to say it again, Brazil, South Korea. You said that's a logistical nightmare right now. How does that work right now in COVID? Some of these episodes, we've talked a little bit about that, but, like, before COVID, was it easy to do this? Or what are you guys dealing with right now? I mean, just explain how you get your guys over there and set up. Yeah, I mean, I mean COVID certainly threw a wrench into things, and... We had work all over the United States and all outside of the country prior to COVID that we had kind of had to put on the back burner and had to reschedule for when this clears up because sending employees out of the country over to other countries, it's a hesitation right now, right? Travel's a hesitation. And when you're working all over the world, travel's a big part of what we do. We had to push back a job in Brazil. We had to push back a job in Italy, Dubai. It looks like we have some stuff on the schedule. You know, we're gonna be doing some stuff in maybe South Korea, Brazil. But that's with fingers crossed, hoping that this gets cleared up. I can't even imagine you talked about just the shipping issues. And I know personally that I've heard that shipping and whatever was a big deal back in, I want to say April and May. And there's still stuff that's being shipped in the United States, outside the United States, that's just stagnant, right? It's sitting in ports waiting to go through and just the logistics of having stuff to have to sit. So it's even pushing you guys back more, thankfully. You know, it's worked a little bit to your advantage that you didn't have to have guys over there for a few months sitting and waiting on a job. But it's crazy just to have to, you know, you think you're just getting these jobs set up, you have these contracts. And, you know, within the States, it's easy. But outside of that, you're trying to fulfill you know, big contracts. And it's just, I can't even imagine the nightmares you guys have gone through. And you mentioned a few of those in the past, but it's it's wild. That is a, it's, it's a space I didn't even know about. So obviously learned a little bit today, but go back to the gym. So I, like I said, I had my cousin, Jason Johnson on, he runs City of Lakes CrossFit out in Minneapolis. So he discussed some of the problems they're having or we're having. How did you guys, I mean, from dealing with your members to the managers you help out, like, what was that like? I'm back in March and transitioning out now through that. What, what kind of education were you guys being told? What rules were you under? And now as we progress, you know, late August, September, I guess, what's the timeline of everything getting back to normal for those gyms? I'd like to think we're back to normal right now. Obviously, it's not 100% back to normal because you still have, we're still making sure we're, you know, we're on top of everything. If, if there's changes in, in terms of masks, do our members have to wear masks? Do our employees have to wear masks? What about members that don't want to wear masks? So these are all things we're still navigating. You know, luckily, being part of Anytime Fitness, we're a part of a franchise. They have some best practices that they've kind of sent down the ladder for us to follow. But it, it was tough. I mean, it was, you know, when we had to close those gyms because of COVID and really not knowing how long they'd be closed, it was sad, man. Mm-hmm. We have so many great members and the relationships that are built and the progress you've seen people made. And all of a sudden, one day it just comes to a standstill. As, you know, as much as we rolled out virtual training and virtual coaching and, and tried to get people on board with that, it's not the same as showing up to that gym every day and getting your workout in and, and having just that relationship with the trainers or the managers with those members, it was tough. It was tough on our employees because they were missing out on something too. And it's hard to think that health clubs were closed due to it. You know, and I know a lot of things, you know, we talked about this a lot. And and one of the reasons we rolled out virtual training, virtual coaching, and, and just staying in contact with our members is the number one thing you could do for yourself is to be healthy. If you were to contract COVID, man, if you're healthy, you know, you're probably not going to have too many effects of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but yet we still had to be closed down. It's crazy. When I talked to my cousin too, he mentioned, you know, it's the community aspect of it, right? Yeah. And it's the connecting with people. It's the mental health 
part of it. And I think people were struggling mentally, like back when you had to stay at home, right? I, I mean, I know I only ventured out a few times to go to the grocery store, pick up some food to support some local businesses, but it, my workouts significantly stopped. I try to do that at home stuff and it's just, it's not the same of getting your butt out of bed in the morning, getting to the gym and knowing like, okay, I've accomplished it where it's like, it's very easy to snooze the alarm, not do it at home. But I think it was just that mental aspect of it. And to your point, like if you're in decent health, you're probably not gonna have the long-term ramifications of the severity of COVID, whether or not you contract or not, that's another case. But like, if you're generally healthy, and I think that's a part of the problem is there's a lot of underlying health issues people have had, um, whether that be just through diet, lack of exercise, bad habits, whether it be smoking or drinking, or just like chronic illnesses, right? If you're not combating those, you're only more likely to get COVID once you go back out into the real world and haven't been working out for three, four, five months. Do you guys have to wear masks right now at any time? They've all been different from what I've talked about from Experience Fitness, from Planet Fitness, to the YMCA's. What are you guys working with right now? We definitely recommend it. If people want to wear a mask, we recommend it. We're encouraging our staff when they're out on the floor and dealing with our members, we want them to wear a mask. But you know, I also understand our member that is training for a marathon or that runs 12 miles a day and you, you can't do that with a mask on. So we're obviously, we're practicing social distancing in the clubs. We have every other treadmill, you know, is off limits just to encourage that. In terms of a small kind of studio club like we are, like our Anytimes are, you don't have 40 people in there at a time. Sanitation is much easier for us. And we look at it as having like this private membership and our members take pride in our facilities and they help take care of them. So that helps a lot. It's weird just to think, we were talking earlier about just the inconsistencies, right? And even just gyms, you think gyms would all fall under the same, like, you gotta wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask, we're gonna, so, and it's all different, even just on the three or four of them that are in Green Bay, the different chains, and it's it's just weird to see that, how one gym will handle things a different way, some gyms already had stuff in place, the way they were cleaning things, and it's just, it's odd. Glad you guys are doing that, glad people are able to get back, and for your members, your team members, your managers, your, your personal trainers. I mean, that's that's a huge part just to connect with people because you can't do certain jobs like that away and outside of the office. So let's transition a little bit here, maybe towards more personals. I live very close to a business you own, Castle <laughs> Carts, right on the road down by Bay Beach. And I used to see the sign all the time. I'm like, man, as a young kid, it'd be awesome to own a go-kart track. And I saw those for sale a few times and all of a sudden the for sale sign was gone. I saw some improvements that were done. I'm like, great, someone owns this. And it's uh, you know helping my local economy blocks away from me. How the hell did you get, how did, I mean, a, a go-kart track nonetheless, but I mean, by Bay Beach, what, talk to me about that. Yeah, man. You know, what I do for a living is I run businesses. I mean, it's just what I do. And at, at one point, I don't know, the company I work for, we had 30 businesses at one point that we had under us and, and we were running those and you're bound to want your own, right? Mm -hmm. And my wife and I talked about it. We were looking for businesses. We wanted to buy a business and I had seen it for sale also. And I don't know. I'm not a mechanic. I don't know anything about go-karts when, when, before this. And, but finally I, I looked at it enough times where I'm like, I'm just going to call. And, you know, I called and it got the conversation going and, and we were working towards coming to an agreement on this thing and it started getting pretty real. And yeah, I guess we just eventually pulled the trigger. We bought it, uh, July 1st of 2018. So okay. this is our third summer and it's great, man. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. You know, I got three little boys and what better place for them to grow up at and, and seeing their parents run this business and then a place where they can come down there, they can ride the go-karts when we don't have people there, they can help out, they, you know, they have their jobs down there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's cool, it's cool. Not to get too personal in your business, but like, are go-kart tracks, courses, 
profitable. I can't imagine the overhead's too much. I mean, you got to pay someone to maybe maintain them, a few high school kids to run them during the summer. But, like, to me, I don't see the margin being astronomical that you're yeah. making a ton of money. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's profit to, to be had in them. One of the reasons we were interested in this specific business, if we were going to buy a business, you know, it was going to have to be a business that was already profitable mm-hmm. in our eyes because we both have our regular jobs and this was going to be our business, but it was something that we were going to have to hire a manager for. And it had to be a profitable business because we were going to have to, from the get-go, we were going to have to add payroll, right? We were Mm going to have to have overhead in a manager. It's different because your biggest expense is your labor in a Mm -hmm. go-kart track. And and again, we're open for three months, weekends in May, but then June, July, and August, one or two weekends in September, depending on the weather. And uh, so you have this short window to make your money, right? So you don't want it to rain. You don't, you want good weather. You don't want it to be a hundred degrees either. You know, that scares people away. So you play this weather game, you have your labor, you have some gas, and then you have maintenance expenses on Mm -hmm. the go-karts. And like I said, I wasn't a mechanic. I didn't change the oil on my own car, you know, before I bought this thing. Now I I can do pretty much anything I want on any of those carts. And I amazed myself, Mm -hmm. but, but that's part of it. Owning a business is Hey, I knew that if I'm going to figure this business out and I'm going to be successful, I got to learn how to do this. I got to be able to do it myself so I can train somebody else to do it at some point. And, you know, the other the other little hidden gem in owning a seasonal business is you work really hard. You run this thing for three months. Right now, we're, we're two weeks away. It's open for we're open seven days a week for another two weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm like a kid at the end of school. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it to kind of come to an end, get back to my normal routine, my normal life. But I can tell you, two months after we've been closed, two months, I will be itching to get that place back open. I'm sure. Full of ideas, ready to do different things. Yeah, man, it's cool. It it's sounds cool. awesome. It's it sounds fun. like a fun, I don't want to call it a hobby by no means, but yeah. a side hustle or whatever the case may be. So let's transition back a little bit here. I have a couple other questions. Clearly, the company you work for, Stellar Enterprise, you wear a ton of hats for them, right? And I don't think that's just by mistake. Someone didn't just seek you out and like, Brian... Brian seems like he could handle operations yeah. for three different types of businesses and those, all those have stuff in between there. So how did you fall into that? Like what, what happened along the way that, what led you to be a director of operations for all these different businesses? Yeah, it, I, it's crazy, man. Like I would, I would have, in a million years, I would have never thought that this is what I'd be doing with my life. Never, ever. You know, I was, I guess if I take it back a little further, like before I really got involved with Anytime Fitness, I was a manager for, I don't know, I was 22 years old, probably mm-hmm. as a manager for Red Robin, sure. okay, on Oneida Street and, and enjoyed working there. But I just, for some reason, I wanted to get into sales. Like, I was like, I think I'd be a, I think I'd be a great sales guy. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking for jobs. And nobody would hire me because I didn't have sales experience. I wanted to be picky also about what I was selling, right? I didn't want to be the guy that was just cold calling and, and doing that stuff, you know, because I needed to, I needed some sort of stable income. I was married and, and we were talking about having kids. We had a house, you know, all this stuff. And I saw this job ad for Anytime Fitness. And I'm like, man, that would be awesome. So applied for it, got a job, you know, and these were corporate run clubs. So some of these gyms on the, the east side of Wisconsin were corporate run out of Minnesota, owned by the franchise. So I started working for Anytime Corporate, and that's where I feel like I got a, I got an education on sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And I had a boss, his name was Mike, and this guy was on point. And, and we did a lot of like guerrilla marketing stuff. Like, so it was down in the dirt, working a lot of different angles, just trying to get to drive traffic to our gyms. And one day I get a phone call, and, and those gyms have been sold to a guy named Keith, who who I work for now and, and owns, owns Stellar Enterprise. And I started working for him and I was probably two weeks in working for him 
And he calls me up and he's, hey, I heard you have some restaurant experience. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I used to, you know, I was a manager for Applebee's, manager for Ram. He goes, good, because I own a couple little Caesars and I, I need you to, I need you to help me out with them. Okay, well, let me talk to my wife and, you know, we can talk. And he, no, like, I'd like you there tomorrow. Like, can you help me out with these tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I've always, I've, I've never said no to anything. So I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. And, you know, I just remember a day or two later, I walk into a little Caesars, no training. But at the end of the day, you know, if you come from the franchise world, at the end of the day, what matters is whatever you're offering is a great product. There's a system for everything. And make sure you have great employees that keep your customers happy, right? Like those are just some general rules. Mm -hmm. And then with that and knowing that, you can walk into anything, I feel like, and with a little bit of time, you can be successful. We got those little Caesars going. We got them where we wanted. And then next thing you know, we were opening sport clips haircut stores mm -hmm. okay and so then big roundabout circle and then i came back i was helping with the anytime fitnesses and doing the sport clips doing the little caesars and that's the short version of the story yeah, i mean yeah you just kind of it fell, just happened literally yeah. fell into it yeah but how do you do that how do you juggle all those things like i i think everyone probably relates to just having a lot of irons in the fire at least me personally i got a lot of things i'm always working on but like some of them are my personal stuff some's work some's other extracurriculars but yours are all like businesses that you're trying to drive for a profit for someone that owns all of them and you have a lot of responsibility that falls on your plate like what are some of the things you have to like your daily struggles like how do you stay organized how do you make sure things are efficient like how do you just make sure that you're as efficient as possible along with those businesses number one just having a great team like okay. a great team with me right so yeah. having great gym managers having good regional managers they just make life so much easier when they're on board with you we're all working towards the same goal and you're always going to deal with turnover and you're going to hit bumps in the road. When you have people that you can rely on and fall back on, it makes a world of a difference. When your cup starts filling up with stuff and it's about to overflow, you can take some of this and hand it off to somebody else on your team and they're willing to help you out. Yeah, there's a lot of moving people. There's a ton. But it's also when you enjoy what you do, it's okay. Like it, it's okay to, to sit on your computer at night and knock some stuff out, right? Like because you want to do it. You enjoy what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not a race to get done with work every day. So. I think that's huge. You mentioned you have a couple kids, and I was like, okay, somehow this guy's either cracked the code on a 24-7 lifestyle that he just doesn't sleep at all, but he also has children, and he's running all these businesses. So I guess I should have thought, like, yeah, of course. It, it's about a team, right? Athletics, we were talking about that before we started recording. It's you have to have a good team because at some point there's going to be a weak link or a weak chain, and it's going to fall apart. Do you do the hiring for these people? Does that kind of a – someone in HR does that as the owner of this or are you kind of the first person that figures out where the need is and hires people? I assist with Precision Ice Blast. I assist with the hiring. We have a phenomenal office manager, Melissa, who kind of spearheads that. For a long time at Stellar, yeah, we did all the hiring, whether it was myself or a regional manager or they might set up and do that initial interview or even our club managers would, hey, we're hiring for this gym. Close club nearby would, hey, let me do a first interview. And they kind of send it up, but yeah, very involved because they got to fit in with the team. It wasn't how much fitness experience you had. It was, hey, what's your personality? What's your passion? Are you passionate about fitness? What's your story? And then are you going to fit in with us? Mm -hmm. Because again, you know, like you said, one week link and it can all fall apart pretty quick. Definitely. So this is a marketing podcast essentially, right? Is there any stuff that you guys do? I've had a couple people that came on the podcast, they say a lot of their marketing is done handshaking, building that reputation, building that brand outside of maybe the digital space or whatever. But is there any stuff that you guys do you think works really well? Is there any things you guys have questions on that you've gotten into? Any of those enterprises, whether it be your, your go-kart track or the gyms, commercial real estate, or the ice blasting. In terms of if I have questions, absolutely. When we look at 
our health clubs back when we first started, you know, say when, you know, 10 years ago, marketing looked a lot different mm-hmm. and, and people responded to marketing a lot different. We yep. did, we would send out handwritten postcards to people. We would do lead boxes, referrals. You know, people didn't really text back then. I mean, they did, but it's, it wasn't a main form of community. People still answered their phone, mm-hmm. you know, so you would, you would, you might get a lead or get a referral and call that person and they would pick up the phone and then you would talk to them about their interest in health and fitness and, and set a time for them to come see the gym. People don't answer the phone and they don't have to respond to text messages, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's changed. And you know, now three about three times a year we'll do a, a TV buy, but a lot of social media, yeah. you know, and, and having that social media presence. But I think everybody gets confused, even at the go-kart track, you know, we run paid ads or we do push a post, things mm-hmm. like that. But am I doing it right? You know, it, it you you get on Facebook to do a Facebook ad and it is confusing. Mm-hmm. It is confusing. Yeah, I mean Plenty of questions. Dude, and it's always like we run into that a lot too. I'll be going down a new prospect or something we're already doing. And I like to look back and be like, is this even right? Because I'll have a lot of confidence when I'm starting it out. And all of a sudden, three months later, I'm like, I don't know if this is the right way I'm supposed to be doing stuff just because of the platform changes, whether it be Facebook, you know, traditional media, TV, radio, and print, billboards. Like those are pretty much going to say the same, but there's still different ways to get in front of people. Like whether it's, you know, should we take our budget from TV? put it into streaming ads and like i feel like it's always you're kind of second guessing yourself but that's good that you're trying to become better at it facebook's tricky i would always recommend we recommend people to get if you're not doing some sort of social media make sure it's consistent and if you want to put some ad dollars behind it that's always changing too because i know initially i was doing some stuff on my own a few years ago where you could put five ten dollars behind a post and it would get some clicks now it's like you have to pass even probably 10 times amount, that amount just to get some traction. But I think social media stuff is huge. And I think especially for the gyms, especially people yeah. want to see people that look like them have the same results possibly as them or not all these meatheads coming in. They want to see someone that looks like them that they can relate to. If you're going to find someone on a radio ad, maybe won't work. TV, more of a brand awareness, but I think building that community on social is a huge thing. Yeah, we used to, with, with the gyms, we used to live on radio. You know, sure. we, and we, we, I remember we would do these five minute radio shows and they'd play at noon on a Wednesday in Manitowoc and, and we'd use it in some of our other our other areas. People loved it. They would come in, I heard your show, and, and it was just a member telling their story about mm-hmm. why they started working out, the results they've seen. People would love it. I don't know how effective radio is anymore. I know we've seen a decline in how effective like TV's been for us. We still use it three times a year, you know, just to, when we do kind of a, you know, in October and January when mm-hmm. it's kind of that peak. People are looking to exercise, New Year's resolutions, we still push it, but instead of doing TV and radio, now it's a little bit of TV and a bunch of social media, mm-hmm. you know. So. And you said that radio spot, I mean, you're not selling anytime fitness. You're selling the story of the person Absolutely. that's coming in. Yeah. And that's, I think, goes back to all the people we've talked about so far on the podcast is you're selling the story, the personal effect. And that's really what we preach here too. Is like, we have a bunch of diverse clients that maybe they're in the health and wellness, maybe they're in retail store, maybe they have a clinic, but you, I mean, you can talk about their dentists that they have there, different ways to brush your teeth or new events coming up, whether that be a show or a Packer game or whatever. But like, you want to tell a story of this person had this issue. They came in, they were able to resolve it because of the personal touch here. And I think that's 
overall, what we try to preach is just the personal message and the touch that a brand can tell. It doesn't have to be necessarily sales, but they know that there's a feel-good story about it, and then what? by the time they need you, they already know who you are and not what you're selling. So you got a couple kids, you said, right? And yeah. we talked about this a little before. I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but what's your expectation for the school year now? For You, you had a, a four, six, and an eight-year-old. Yeah. What are you thinking here? You live in you live in Green Bay. Yeah, so Green uh, Bay School District. Green yeah. Bay School District. I know there's some stuff. It's going to be all virtual right now. Probably going to get you a little heated up here, which is fine, but I just, like, <laughs> what are your expectations? It's frustrating, right? I don't yeah. have kids. I hear from different school districts. I have friends that are teachers. And they're not happy with the process. Talk to me about just the challenges of, I know childcare is a racket to begin with, but now you have to have someone watch your kid that's going to help them learn, but they're also not at the age where they can do it on their own. How are you, you and your wife balancing that? I think it'll be interesting. And, you know, I don't know what the right decision is on going back to school or doing it virtually, but I think the frustration comes with, hey, what is the virtual learning going to look like right now? And and that's what we're waiting on because my wife and I, we both have our normal jobs and they're both time consuming and, and we have things going on throughout the day where it's, hey, do we... Do our kids need to be in front of a computer all day? Do our, is it is it like when we were in quarantine where, hey, these are your four or five things to do today. Get them done at your own pace. So, yeah, it's going to be a balancing act either way. And I think we're both lucky where we have some great employers, great bosses where we'll figure it out. No doubt about it. I mean, you don't really have a choice to figure it out. But I can see where it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be difficult for a lot of people. And But at the end of the day... I guess if, if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. I want them to be successful. I want them to learn what they need to learn. You obviously want them to be safe, but it feels like we've been cooped up now for a year. It's probably only been, I don't know, five or six months, whatever right. it's been since March. But mm-hmm. yeah, just ready for, with everything, whether it's work or business or personal life, you just want things back to normal. And I, I think looking at that school year, it was kind of, maybe that would have been one step towards it. But, yeah. you know, it, it, again, it's on hold and, and eventually this will pass and things will get back to normal. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm confident in that. As am I. Yeah. I hope the school districts now that I know they were thrust into the virtual yeah. learning back in March, April, May and the beginning part of June. But I hope they've had the summer to reassess, get some consulting from some IT or some virtual learning because there has to be a lot of people, teachers that were just scrambling like, hey, I don't think this is right. I need this resource, and I'm praying that nationwide, whether it be virtual learning, in class, a hybrid, like they've been able to iron stuff out over these summer months to actually figure it out so these kids can learn. Like I know it's it's because it's it really seems like people were just like having their kids being babysat by a scheduled Zoom meeting every few hours, and like that's not how kids learn. And I I am somewhat fearful of this younger generation, even if it's a few months or a half of year of school or a full year of school, that having like they went through second grade or they went through junior year in high school and it was all virtual and like what the ramifications are that when they get in the yeah. real world. We joke, but it's like someday when they apply to go to college, it's going to be, well, what grade were you in in 2020? You know, because is that going to have some ramifications sure. on, you know, something, but no. And you know, you feel for the teachers. I mean, it's got to be tough on them. And oh my gosh, you know, everybody was work from home. You're trying to figure out how to teach your kids from home. You're trying to figure out how, they do addition and subtraction now, which, you know, but... It's way different than that. Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's crazy, but yeah, I, it'll, it'll be all right. We'll, yeah. it out. well, Brian, I appreciate you hopping on. Any final words from you before we uh, sign off here? No, I appreciate you guys having me. You know, I know in the past we've used you guys for things, and it's always been awesome, and I'm sure we'll use you guys in the future. So. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. For Brian Matsky, I'm Matt Fralick. Appreciate you guys listening to another edition of Bear Den Podcast. As always, stick with us. Look at our previous episodes. Look for our Bear Necessities Audio Digest where we take our 
blogs, turn them into audio format, and look for upcoming episodes with other small businesses and entrepreneurs in the area. Of course, send us your marketing questions. We'll address those on the podcast when we get a collection of them and look for other podcasts with our other Bear team employees to discuss marketing initiatives and tips for you guys. But for Brian Matsky, I'm Matt Freilich. Thanks for bearing with us. Thank you for listening to this Bear Den podcast. Follow Bear Performance Marketing on all social media accounts and look for further insight into marketing with Bear Den episodes and interviews with small business owners. Add in audio versions of Bear Necessity blogs, which are also available at bearpm.com slash blog. Send us your marketing questions for them to be answered on a podcast by our BPM team.